Thanks for joining us again. We are no wristbands. We drink for free. This month's episode features Chicago music lifer Mark Greenberg. Please join us as we sit down with Mark and talk about how an art student from Kansas City moved to Chicago with his band, The Cocktails. Then let's talk about how he got co-opted into service by Susan Miller at Lounge Axe when he was just stepping in to see if his band could play there. And he ended up running Wilco's Loft later on down the line. Mark would say it was dumb luck and being in the right place at the right time. But I do think it was more than that. I think there's a real genuine warm personality that he has that makes people recognize his talent and want to collaborate with him. As always, please follow us on Instagram and Twitter at No Wristbands and check out our website at NoWristbands.com. So we are joined today by Mark Greenberg. He's a Chicago polyglot from, uh, it's a 10 cent word right there, uh, who's was previously in the band The Cocktails, worked at Lounge Axe. You may know him from Mayfair Workshop, uh, his time in 11th Dream Day, as well as his time running and uh, working at Wilco's Loft. So thank you for joining us today, Mark. How are you? I'm great. Thank you for having me. All right. Uh, our absolute pleasure. Um, so I like to start these things kind of chronologically and work our way forward. So if you're game, I'd love to ask a question or two about the cocktails. Sure. All right. Fantastic. So uh, you guys all sounds like you went to school in, in Kansas City. What brought you to Chicago? Well, when you live in Kansas City, you, you're a suburb of Chicago. <laughs> and so, you know, w- we would get in the car often and just drive to Chicago to see shows at the Art Institute. And, um, you know, it was uh, it's not. Kansas City is really cute and adorable in a lot of ways, but it's not a big city. And so um, a lot of bands would skip Kansas City in those days, too. And a lot of, you know, uh, if you want to see bigger art shows um, would skip. So we would often be going to St. Louis or Chicago or even Columbia, Missouri, you know, like just to see shows or Lawrence, Kansas to see shows. Mm. So. um, So, yeah, we were in Chicago a lot. And uh, it made sense upon graduation to that's where we wanted to go. Also, Archer was friends with um, Sam Precop, who at that point was in um, mm-hmm. uh, Shrimp Boat. And we were yeah, huge, love huge fans of Shrimp Boat. He had all mm-hmm. the cassettes. And so um, the, the idea of moving up to be in a city with where Shrimp Boat was, was was a pretty <laughs> like it. It didn't take much more than that. Hey, Shrimp Boat's in Chicago. You want to move to Chicago? Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I mean, it, it does take more than that, right? Like a lot of us dabble in, in, in activities, right? We don't just like uproot our lives and move somewhere for it. So do you think that was just like youthful, like whatever, it'll all work out. Or do you think there was something more in you that drove you to be like this? This makes sense for us. At this no, time? no, we were super dumb. <laughs> I guess we're like, I mean, that it's it's the whole thing about the band too. You have to be at a certain level. You have to be really stupid. It's like, well, you know, we have 12 songs, you know, we could go to Chicago. We have 12 songs. Yeah. You know, like that kind of <laughs> that level of stupidity is is kind of what's necessary. So, you know, we had one record done and, um, you know, we thought this is going to be it. Come on, let's go. Uh, was there a point in like your early time in the cocktails where you were like, this is going to be a thing versus like, this is me just messing around rec- making music with my friends? Um, it's, I don't know what, what, I'm not sure what you, I mean, it was always just messing around with our friends. Um, 
and having really good friends and really great messing around kind of, you know? <laughs> um, so, I mean, I don't think we, I, I think the cocktails had a pretty good idea of what we were and what was our potential and what was our, you know, I don't think anybody was dreaming, you know, big things for a band that was meant to be a, a band in a, in a small club with a, you know, a certain size audience. I mean, there mm -hmm. was a, a certain, um, um, there's a certain size to what we were doing. I don't know if that's really, if I, if that sure. yeah. is exactly yeah, yeah. the word I'm looking for, but like we weren't hitting the back row of a gigantic place. Right. We were playing glockenspiels and, you know, uh, two saxophones coming out of the same mouth and little things <laughs> like that. And so, you know, you just have to be like, you have to understand what you're doing and who's it, <laughs> right. who it's for, you know? So I don't think anybody thought we were going to, you know, um, own the world, but, uh, but we knew that we could continue doing what we wanted to do. That was the whole point is that we are, you know, trained art students who, I mean, and when I say trained, I don't mean we were talented. I just mean we were trained <laughs> in the way of making things that are, that's, that's what we sure. do is we sure. were thing makers. Yeah. And so the band was no different. It, you know, you make things. It was your art project at the time. Always, yeah. always. Mark, Mark, did you did you feel like you reached your audience right away or did it take you a while to find the right people? We had really good luck. We had really good luck in Kansas City. We had a lot of friends. And, you know, in Kansas City, when you play a show, it doesn't matter what band you're in, you're going to be playing for the same 75 people. <laughs> and so, you know, we had good luck in Kansas City. Um, and that we were able to play some fun shows with great people um, and do a little bit of touring. And in Chicago, we had a lot of luck, too. We um, found Lounge Acts pretty early on after we moved there. And that ended up being a, a real great place for us and great people and um, a great atmosphere to do what we do. So um, I don't know. It, 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 we people seem to hear about us quickly, thankfully. Mm hmm. Uh, can you talk us through how you got on Lounge Axe's radar? Did you approach them? Did they approach you? Like, how did that that relationship start? We had um, gone to um, uh, what was the record store? Uh, Wax Tracks was Wax right Tracks. across yeah. from Lounge Axe. Yeah. Yeah. So whenever we were in Chicago, we went to Wax Tracks. Again, there's a level of stupidity here. We went to Wax <laughs> Tracks to see if our records were there. You know, like are our records here. Oh, oh, weird. I don't know why they're here. We, we sell them out of the back of our car. Right. <laughs> so we would go to Wax Tracks every time we were in Chicago. So when we moved there, we went to Wax Tracks and Lounge Axe was right across the street. So we walked over and looked at the calendar and the calendar was amazing. You know, 30 days of amazing shows of amazing bands. And um, so we dropped off a record. We had an LP at the time. That's all we had was our first record and we dropped it off. And again, I'm going to, this is going to be a recurring theme of stupidity. We would come <laughs> back every, every once in a while to look at the calendar to see if we were on it. <laughs> we didn't know how it worked. Are we on it? Nope. I don't see us on any show. All right. All right well, yep. Don't show don't up this month. Yeah. <laughs> so after doing that, maybe 30 times, we, um, we arrived one day and the door was open and, and they were inside. And so it was, uh, 
Sue, the owner, Sue and Julia, both of the mm-hmm. owners, and um, Gary Sheepers, who's one of the sound guys. And mm-hmm. um, we we're like, hey, where are the cocktails? And we dropped off a thing. Have you been able to listen to it yet? And they were super nice about it. And um, they hadn't listened to it yet because it was an LP. They didn't have a, a turntable in, in the basement where they listened to, to uh, demos and things. And so we hit it off and it was uh, friendly enough where they said, um, let's go across the street and we'll bring the record and we'll have wax tracks play it for you, for us. And we'll listen to it there. So we went across the street and we were, you know, going through records while Sue and Julia went upstairs to look at shoes. And luckily the guy behind the counter put on the record and let it play for a few songs. Very not wax tracksy kind of music. (laughs) So I'm thankful for that. And after a couple of songs, we're just sweating bullets. They come down, they go, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we can, we'll give you a show. Okay. And they give us a few, few shows right away, which was really sweet. And, um, and it just built from there. I mean, luckily people came and the, sh- the shows that they would book us on, that's always a, a big thing too, is opening up for the right kind of shows where those mm-hmm. kind of people who might like you are attending anyway. Um, so um, Lounge Acts really helped us build a, a following in Chicago. So uh, it, it seems like it was a, a very meaningful, impactful relationship in that they asked you to be the last band to play there. Uh, how did that conversation happen? Well, yeah, I mean, I ended up working at Lounge X. Um, yeah. I, w- I, would bu- I bugged Sue so much because in those <laughs> days, pre-internet, of course, or pre-good you know good internet, we had the bad internet, um, to, to know where you were being played, um, you had to go to get the CMJ, a college, college music journal, which was, I think, mm-hmm. a biweekly um, uh, magazine. So I would borrow them from, from Sue and look at all the little uh, college radio stations we were getting play on, and I'd Xerox it, and then we'd book shows there. You know, oh, we're getting mm-hmm. play in Pittsburgh. Let's do a show in Pittsburgh. So that was, uh, I, I was constantly bugging her like that. Oh, can I try this? Can I borrow this? Can I do this? And there's a kink goes across the street. And um, finally, <laughs> I came in one day, and, and, and the place was a madhouse, and it was full of people, and people were running everywhere. And uh, Sue said, answer the goddamn phone. (laughs) I said, okay, what am I going to (laughs) say? Tell whoever's calling that yes, Poi Dog Pondering is playing this week, you know, and and no, there aren't advanced tickets or something like that. Because Poi Dog (laughs) Pondering was a very popular band in Chicago at that moment. And they were playing these secret shows at Lounge X, I think maybe four or five nights in a row. So. I would pick up the phone and say, yeah, yeah, no, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hang it up. And the second I hanged it up, it would ring and I'd pick up again. <laughs> and this was going on for hours. And so at the end of the night, she says, come back tomorrow and answer the goddamn phone. <laughs> so I did. And that's how, like, you know, after that, I was like, maybe you should help me listen to demo tapes, uh, you know. And so I became her booking assistant. She and, said, here's um, your goddamn W2. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, and I worked the door some nights as well. And um, yeah. Uh, did that, how, how did it feel to go from behind the velvet rope to being the person in charge of the velvet rope through like helping with booking, like people's fates rose, you know, we're going to ride or fall on you listening to it and being moved by that. Music. Well, on her listening. I mean, I was sure. her assistant, you know, so, um, you know, I'm just part of the team that it was part of the team and it was a great team to be part of mm-hmm. great people at Lounge X. Um, 
And, and Sue had a really has and had a really great sense of what she wanted uh, to be on the stage and the kind of bands and the kind of music. Um, so it was, no, it was really, it was a privilege really to be able to be any part of, um, of uh, helping these things happen because um, we go back and we look at those calendars from those months and yeah. just, how, how was I there 29 nights out of the, out of the month, you know, like <laughs> those are all amazing shows and these great bills. And, you know, it was, there's so much good stuff going on. Yeah. What an opportunity to meet some really cool people. For sure. For sure. Uh, can you walk us through what like a, and I'm going to use their quotes here. So sorry, listeners, uh, what a typical day at lounge acts would be like for you. <laughs> well, we would have specific days, Tuesdays and Thursdays would be booking days. And so it would be basically me being as nice as I could be to the thousands of bands that were trying to call within these few hours. Um, <laughs> and, and a, and very few percentage were or bands that were going to get shows, sadly. Um, but, you know, that sounds mean, but there were a lot of bands that shouldn't have sent their stuff to Lounge Axe. There was a lot of bands that had no idea was what Lounge Axe was and got the name and address on right. some publication of, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. So we would get cover bands sending stuff and we would get funk bands and we would get just stuff that wasn't going to play at lounge acts. And so that was, I was the protective layer for Sue. You know, yeah. I was, I was the buffer that would um, kind of, you know, we, we would know the agents that she would deal with or the record labels or, you know, and, and the bands. And so that that was my point is to is to be assistant for listening to all the demos and under we would make a we'd have this whole she had a whole notebook and each tape we listened to each tape or cd or record had one line it had the name of the band and then it had our our description and we had kind of codes that we would use um <laughs> and so you know a lot can be said on one line of, of wow uh, yeah so um it it would be great to read that notebook she yeah has it and there's been talk about doing a lounge acts book and i'm sure there's going to be some of that involved Uh, there's 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 a lot that's in it that's so mean it can't be (laughs) and mean with the best intentions i don't mean mean spirited but not shareable brutally really what i mean brutally honest yes so Um, um, do you remember any of those codes still yes (laughs) can you give us a taste Nope. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, we would have, there'd be other clubs and other rooms in the city that had their own thing too, Mm -hmm. which is great. That's exactly how it should be. Mm -hmm. You know, like, why would we all be chasing after the same bands? Why would we Mm -hmm. be fighting over the same bands or whatever? So if you were this kind of band, you play in that club. If you're this kind of band, and I don't mean this kind of band, but something that fit in that genre or fit in that, you know, um, and so, you know, so that right off the top, it was easy for us to say, oh, this band is a blah, blah, blah kind of band, an Avalon band. Mm-hmm. That, oh, this band should play at the Elbow Room. Mm-hmm. You know, so we would be imaginary booking them in other places, which I think was actually a really nice thing. You know, that was a thing that I would say, hey, you know, right. this isn't exactly what we do here at Lounge Axe, but um, have you tried the Avalon? You know, that place might be right. great for you guys. Um, I think that with the kind of bands that they book, I think you guys would get in there and 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 get on some good bills. So, I mean, it was a service, but yes. I, I could understand there being a you know an upsetting angle of that. 
were there times where you like really stumped for a band that like maybe Sue was like, I don't know about this band. You're like, no, we got to get them on a bill. No, we were pretty good about okay. knowing, you know, uh, what we liked and what we didn't like. You know, I, there's, you know, just like anybody, you know what you like and you don't, you know, what you don't like. And and there's some things that do swerve towards it, but don't feel really, you know, and that's easy too. You know, we had some easy nights to get, you know, well, I don't know exactly about this band. So let's put them on a bill on a Wednesday night. Let's have them open mm-hmm. for blah, blah, blah. Let's, you know, put them on a local bill. So there's ways of getting things in that we didn't exactly know about, but could work into the schedule. Um, you know, we, we really wanted to do as much local stuff as possible, but um, the goal, you know, the, the, the mission of Lounge Axe was the place where these smaller touring bands would mm-hmm. come through. So, um, you know, as much hooking up openers for those kind of bands and those kind of shows as possible. Um, we yeah, did our best. I was going to ask that question, like obviously picking out the the headlining bands is is pretty straightforward. But as far as deciding who is going to be the opening bands, you know, did you have a lot of input on that? Do do the headlining bands have any input or it was just Sue deciding? It was everything. You know, some bands would travel with bands. Some bands would have mm-hmm. friends in each town. Um, sometimes they need an opener that would actually have a draw. You know, sometimes mm-hmm. you need an opener that is really good at putting up posters. You know, yeah. there's all <laughs> sorts of reasons why we would have an sure. opening band. Um, uh, but there were bands that we loved and would try to get good shows for and try, as they did for the cocktails, try to um, help build, you know, build their draw in Chicago. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of good bands that we were really on their side. Yeah, that's that's great. Um, and and like that's what fosters a community and helps build it. And uh, you know, at times it can feel like you're alone out there. So it's really great to have those people who are willing to go to bat for you. And that was Sue and Julia and Lounge Axe all together. They mm-hmm. were they were um, den moms, and um, it was a really warm, friendly place. That you know. Uh, the bands that really hit it off would be there till four or five in the morning, you know, and, and, you know, it was really a wonderful, wonderful place um, where the owners are doing it for the right reasons. And they really mm-hmm. love the bands that play there and they love their employees. Um, it's really sweet. It's, you know, the, the hideout is, is the modern take mm-hmm. on that. that sure. feeling. There are a lot of clubs in Chicago that aren't exactly that, but, but um, it's wonderful that the hideout is is that. Uh, so real quickly, then we can we can move forward. But uh, when you get this job and you come back to the band, you're like, hey, Archer, I got this this gig at at uh, Lounge X. How quickly were they like, when do we get to play there again? Yeah, I mean, I mean, it just was just a natural part of it. You know, sure. I mean, we wanted to play there. And at that point, you know, we were having a draw, so it was good for them to have us play as well. I mean, you know, so it, I mean, it was just a natural good thing. You know, we would uh, we build ourselves up to be a good headliner and we got to do headlining. And we also were um, not jerks enough to know that even though we could do a headline, there were bands that we would love to open for and help that bill. So we mm-hmm. got to do that a bunch, too, um, you know, a show that we probably would have gotten paid more if we headlined it. Um, we decided that we would much rather just be on this bill and mm-hmm. you know, join forces. And, you know, what, um, <clears throat> excuse me, what is your, your favorite show you ever either played or, or saw at lounge acts? There was just so many great shows. I mean, on a weekly basis, I mean, really my, my whole 
outlook was changed in in those years when i was mm-hmm. there um just on a nightly basis there were great bands the f- first time sebado played I, I, I was just knocked out it was the the original trio um mm-hmm. the first time unrest played when they were sound checking i got on the phone and called everybody i knew oh you have to come and see unrest they're unbelievable um you know the jesus lizard played a bunch of times and they're the greatest mm-hmm. live band ever in all eternity, including what's Whoa. going to come Statement. forward. Yeah. Wow. That goes forward. Too. <laughs> and to be able to be in a, in a small club like that, to see the Jesus lizard. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, that's a privilege. Um, I got to see um, the dirty three was an amazing band. I got to see the first time the dirty three came to lounge acts. First time they were in, in America and they played, I think on a Wednesday night to 45 people, something like that. Um, Mecca normal was one of those shows. Oh my gosh. An amazing show that just was so unlikely to be an ass kicking show and just kicked everybody's ass in the whole place. Everybody was like, what? Um, (laughs) There were so many shows like that, you know, not Mm -hmm. just these gigantic Saturday night full shows, but just these bands that would, uh, there's a band called the Subsonics, and I don't even remember where they were from. Just one of those bands, didn't hear mm-hmm. of them before. They showed up, they were like, second on a three band bill. And oh my gosh, they brought it and they were it. You know, they were the real deal. And, um, you know, it's, it's amazing to be in the presence of that. Mm-hmm. And I felt like being a lounge ex, I was I was in the presence of that way, way more than I deserved. It seems like you always, felt like this is an amazing opportunity you always understood the gravity of it which is really cool and seems like you never really took it for granted you know what we're all looking back at those days there's like a facebook group that we're all sharing details and everything but i think we all knew it back then we all knew that we were really in a good there was a good thing going um i I don't think right this comet yeah i don't think people were taking it for granted thankfully i think um we were we were aware of 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 what a great thing it was. So um, as cocktails winds down and lounge acts winds down, uh, are you are you having internal like dialogue with yourself? That's a weird sentence. Are you thinking like what's next for me? Yeah. Do you have a plan? Like how do we go forward from here? Well, a lot of things were happening. Archer um, uh, Pruitt from the cocktails. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, upon our breakup, he wanted to put out records as well. He wanted to continue forward and he was nice enough to bring me along for that. So, you know, I continued forward with that. We, we, there wasn't really downtime between one or the other. Um, I had a recording project with my wife called Log Letters, which was super fun and just homespun and, you know, just that, that same kind of creative energy was continuing forward. Um, and also I was um, we uh, having a family, you know, I, we had our, our daughter, um, our first child two years after the cocktails mm-hmm. broke up. Is that right? Oh, three wow. years, three years. So, you know, all of those things are part of the same, mm-hmm. you know, thing. And so I, I had to get another job anyway at a certain point, because as much as I loved working at Lounge X, it was um, a young person's job right. slash <laughs> sure. yeah yeah so i had a you know so that things were changing in other in all sorts of ways mm-hmm. 
Yeah, the, but, the baby. But I got to continue making music with Archer, and I got to play with other people too. I got to uh, tour. I did a tour with uh, the Sea and Cake. I did a mm-hmm. tour with Smog. Um, I got to to play a lot of different things. Got to play with Kelly Hogan and Nora Jones. Uh, I'm sorry, Nora O'Connor. Um, mm-hmm. uh, just is Bill you Callahan know, is as weird as he seems. Uh huh. Yeah, he is. <laughs> <laughs> I let me say, I love Bill Callahan, and I love. So Spawn. do I. I'm a f- uh, I'm a fan, top to bottom. Yeah, of oh, every man. single so ounce he's ever put out. Yeah, he is. Uh, talk about the real deal. You know yeah. that guy. My gosh, his uh, his catalog is very meaningful and important to me for sure. Mm, agreed. Yeah, he's. He's on another level. Um, And it was an amazing band to be part of because that band was John McIntyre on drums, uh, Rick Rizzo from 11th Dream Day on guitar, uh, Jeff Parker, who was, uh, you Mm. know, in Tortoise at that time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. um, On guitar as well. Me and Bill, is that it? Yeah. So it was like, what? It was an amazing band to be mm-hmm. part of when we got yeah. to tour Europe wow. on that. We did a, a, a Chicago show and then the rest of it was all Europe. And that was awesome. Uh, not to get too sidetracked, but when, when something like that happens and you get this opportunity to go tour with these people are how much like preamble is there? Like how much practice goes into that? How many practice sessions do you guys have before you hit the road? We probably got together 10 times, something like that. I'm not a music reader. I don't read music. Mm-hmm. And so I have to learn it and memorize it just by doing it. So mm-hmm. um, for me, probably more than other people, I really need to woodshed mm-hmm. for something like that. Um, I think there's other people that catch on quicker and, and are better at that kind of thing. So, um, so yeah, and I worked my ass off to, to get those parts down. That's amazing. I mean, mostly just so I could watch Bill, you know, like, (laughs) yeah, I mean, I got Bill right in front of me every night. I want to watch that show. Oh, man. I I saw him one time in New Orleans and it was like a Sunday night and the show starts at seven. I get there at like 730. Nothing's happened yet. And it ended up being 40 people at the show. And it was so amazing. And I was like, I can't believe there aren't more people here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he's so amazing. The last show we did of that tour was at Roskilde, the gigantic European mm-hmm. festival. And we were on a side stage against Iron Maiden. <laughs> so Iron Maiden was on the main stage. We were this, and we were uh, touring the songs, of, uh, the Dongs of Savotion, which was kind mm-hmm. of a there's some rockers on it. But, you know, it's a it's a smaller thing. Mm-hmm. And so Iron Maiden, not only could we hear Iron Maiden, they were coming into our microphones and coming out of our PA. <laughs> That's how loud they were compared wow. to us. Uh, and that was a tough one to like end this really fun tour on. Mm. But, uh, you know, funny. Uh, so May- let's talk about Mayfair Workshop for a second. Um, how did that all get started? It's your, it's your music uh, outlet now or one of them where you one are you're you're making uh music for for correct me if I'm wrong video games tv shows movies yeah and i i am not doing it as much these days now that i work at the loft that's the mm-hmm. loft is my main gig but um yeah i the cocktails were asked to do like the cocktails were the kind of band whose records and cd's ended up on the desks of ad agencies for whatever reason okay. i'll let 
I'll let the judgment of you all <laughs> take over for that. I, I, but, it, you know, for better or for worse, that's what that was that kind of band. And so there was a bunch of people uh, we were asked to do a bunch of ad stuff that kind of fell in our lap. We did two um, very well paying Coca-Cola things and we did um, a, a few other things, just bizarre things that we weren't really mm-hmm. reaching out for. Um, I mean, we weren't at all reaching out for, but would end up in our in our laps. And so I super enjoyed that work. Um, some of it was just using what we've had, but some of it was like one of the, one of the Coke things. We were flown to L.A. and we were performing on camera and um, it was a blast. And we kind yeah. of like we had a piece of music that was being edited. Well, and why don't you do this? And why don't you bend it that way? Um, we did. A, the other thing for Coke was um, a, a, a song that we had on the on the seven inch we did a seven inch of waltzes and they liked one of the waltzes and so but why don't you do it this way and it's going to have to be an arc in 30 seconds and i really really loved working that way i loved working um with someone else's direction and so i, I started I, I kept those contacts um and i, I continued forward and, and kind of built mayfair recordings at that point which was just me and um years later i would uh, incorporate other composers including uh, Charles Kim, and we were the Mayfair Workshop, hmm. which was a bunch of composers, which um, opened us up to a, a different kind of client. No, but I love amazing. that kind of work. I, I love that kind of work. I so wish that the, hour, the day had 48 hours or that I had two of me because uh, I love composing for with direction. I, I, I would think a lot of musicians would just hate that. Like that would be the worst thing for them. A lot of a lot of people hate that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why. Did you get did you get any sweet bennies out of Coke? You get like lifetime supply of Coke from that commercial? <laughs> you know, it's so funny. We were just joking about this when I saw Archer the other day. Is um like we had a contract that we had to sign that was obviously meant for somebody like Michael Jordan, you know, you mm-hmm. can't, yeah. can't be seen drinking a competitor's soft drink in public, that kind of thing. <laughs> but uh, no, we we didn't we, I mean there were a lot of perks, but Lifetime of Coke was not one of them. Probably oh, man. good that that didn't happen, really. You got like a 24-pack. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> no, but like one of the things was, you know, we looked a certain way and we, we wore matching out, uh, outfits and um, we had a certain kind of instruments, you know. Um, and so when we had to go to L.A., we're like, oh, great. Well, we need our own equipment. And they're like, okay, bring your own equipment. And we're like, oh, well, we don't have cases for it. And so then they would they purchase, you know, uh, nice. really nice flight cases for us. Uh-huh. Like yeah. Little things like that. Well, mm-hmm. we want to bring our wives and girlfriends. Actually, they're all girlfriends at that point. Yeah, they're all girlfriends at that point. And so we got to bring girlfriends and stay at a fancy uh, hotel. And nice. I mean, it was like for a little tiny band that did little tiny stuff. <laughs> it was ridiculous. It was a taste of the good life. Yeah. And then we got a paid um, a large amount and th- that made us be able to put out records of our friends. So mm-hmm. with the money That's we amazing. made from that Coke thing, we put out a record by Masters of the Obvious, Moto, mm-hmm. we put out a Vandermark Quint- uh, Quartet. We put out um, an Evergreen 7-inch. We put out a Dame Darcy 7-inch. I mean, like, you know, that was awesome. We got to use that for that. Man, I haven't heard the name Moto in so long. That takes me back to New Orleans. So I, great. I, I think yeah. I have. I think I had a cassette tape from them. Yeah. Wow. Moto is so great. The first time I saw Moto was actually one of the first shows I saw at Lounge Acts when we first moved to La- went to Chicago. We went to see Antietam play at Lounge Acts mm-hmm. on a weeknight, 
and Moto, the two, you know, Paul and Beck version of Moto opened and just gape mouth like, what? This is incredible. <laughs> so that, again, one of those nights of like yeah. walking home silently like, wow, okay, yeah, amazing. Live music, it's the best, isn't yeah. it? When it is great, it's right. really great. Yeah. Um, so we're dancing around it. Let's get to it. Uh, yeah. The loft. How did uh, how did you get uh, hooked in? Start working at the loft. Well, so I was Sue Miller's assistant, booking assistant right. for eight years. Um, and you know, lounge acts—it's not boss employees; it's family. Everybody's mm-hmm. family. Um, and when I had to quit, it wasn't for any other reason that I had to earn more money for my family. We had a mm-hmm. child on the way, and we had just mm-hmm. bought a house, and. So, you know, there's no hard feelings kind of thing. So we've stayed very close. And, um, you know, I knew Jeff, uh, Jeff and Sue are married. Um, When I was at Lounge X, they were boyfriend and girlfriend, Mm -hmm. obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, So I've known Jeff since Uncle Tupelo days. um, And we've been buddies all the way through. And so um, Wilco, as you know, has grown very, very big. And they did it step-by-step, step, which is the best way of doing it. Um, they weren't a band that came out of nowhere and all of a sudden was gigantic. They worked really hard for everything they did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so at this certain point in time, their booking, uh, their um, tour manager was also their loft manager. They had this great loft that they were starting to record records in. Um, it was a real hang zone for all their equipment and all their they had management here and they had merchandise and everything. So the loft manager started to be a real job. It had to be a big thing. It wasn't Mm -hmm. just a practice space. It was a recording studio. And so their tour manager, after touring, a hard tour would have to come back and be on for this. So he was really working two jobs at that point, which fried him out. Mm -hmm. And, um, and he also just had a child at that point and he's, he had to step back. Um, So they turned his job into two different jobs at that point. Um, Oh, Oh, but I'm sorry. The way I got here was I had done a few sessions here when Wilco was, uh, was on tour. I did an Andrew Bird session here. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, so Jeff was going to produce a Mavis Staples record here at the loft. It was going to be one of the first real producer gigs that he had done beyond helping friends out on, on records. Mm-hmm. Um, this mm-hmm. was a, a kind of a big deal with a legend, you know, sure, she yeah. her band in from LA and everything. And he was going to do it with, um, with an engineer who he had worked with previously, um, Jim Scott and Jim called maybe a day or two before the session and said, Hey, uh, I'm with the Dixie chicks. They're going long. I can't do it. I can't come to Chicago to do your gig. And so Jeff was like, what? <laughs> you know, like maybe it started <laughs> flew in her band. This yeah. session is happening. Yeah. yeah. And so um, he quickly started to, to ask people and, and talk to people. And he got um, through a couple of different channels. He got Tom Schick from New York and Tom's done all sorts of people. He's done, mm-hmm. he's done Nora Jones and he's done Yoko Ono and he's done Ryan Adams and he's done all these great people. So he seemed like a great fit. And Jeff uh, asked me to come as well to be a, another pair of hands for Tom. 
maybe to be a, um, a tape op for Pro Tools if Tom needed that. Just mm-hmm. he wanted a team together, so things went well, and um, and it worked great. I mean, the band was here rehearsing when Tom landed from uh, you know from the airport. He came in, threw his backpack down, and I mean, the record was already started. Mm-hmm. So um, wow, it was great. And so you know f- that record ended up getting a Grammy and being a really great, great experience. And so after that, Jeff was like, okay, everybody stay where you are, everybody in the same positions from now on. And so we just became full-time at that point. Wow. It's it's amazing how that stuff plays out, right? Yeah. Yeah. You never know. And you know, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, no, go ahead. No, no. Just feel lucky for that for sure. Mm -hmm. Did it feel like no time had passed? Or is it like easy to get back up to speed with, with Jeff and Sue? I mean, we were friends all the way through all of that. Okay. So Mm -hmm. there wasn't really any downtime. Um, Yeah. So what's a typical day like working at the loft? Well, there's three of us. Usually Jeff is, uh, Jeff is a great workaholic, you know, He, he really loves, his craft. He loves to do what he does. Mm-hmm. And, and he's built this loft as his happy place. So he's here every day. Um, and Tom and I are here every day. And Jeff will, you know, write songs. <laughs> you know, he'll make music. He'll get yeah. better at his instruments. He'll um, try things. Uh, he'll have the time to be able to um, put something down and think about it and return to it. Um, it's a real, uh, awesome luxury to have this place for him. That's, it's all hardwired and ready to go. Anything that he wants, we can have Mm -hmm. up and running in seconds, you know? Um, yeah. So it's, it's, uh, it's a great workspace. And so, and we're also, you know, older adults and we're, we're not going to be here till three in the morning, you know, we're, we're kind of civilized in our hours Mm -hmm. and we have families. (laughs) And so, you know, we come for the hours that we're here every day and we get, shit done and then go home and have dinner with our families that sounds that sounds like a dream job it is a dream job. <laughs> <laughs> now it hits uh, me every morning when i arrive yeah uh-huh. i feel pretty pretty lucky for this yeah when and it's great and i get to be like in the presence of jeff making mm-hmm. his music you know and yeah uh, you know he he he's really good at what he does he's really really good <laughs> yeah well and, and and we've we've you know we've seen it sometimes when jeff performs and you know he's working out songs on stage or whatever uh but then i mean you're seeing it in a in a much more basic level right from the beginning and then you you know the final product comes out and it's like whoa that's where that was going huh yeah kind of i mean it, on the other end of that is that he they roll out of him a lot of times pretty well made, you know, mm-hmm. like, they, wow, they don't, uh, they often don't start as tiny fragments. He really does. Um, he knows what he's doing mm-hmm. and it's endless. He did this thing at the beginning of this year during the pandemic. He's been very, very uh, creative during the pandemic. He wrote a book, put out a solo record, but um, mm-hmm. after the first, he wrote 50 songs in 50 days. Um, and this wasn't just like a riff or a word or two or mumble tracks. Mm-hmm. He wrote 50 songs in 50 days. He presented them each morning to Wilco uh, via text and was like, wow, let's pick out the ones we want to do for this next record. So it's bottomless, thankfully, you know, I mean, 
he he's very good at what he does. Yeah. <laughs> and he wrote a book teaching us how to write one song. So yeah, or or so the title will, will, will have you believe. It's I mean it, it's, the book is really more about uh, connecting with your creative you mm-hmm. know uh, juices. But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. How about um, the rest? How about the rest of the guys? Are they uh, hanging out at the loft very often? Well, Glenn is the only other Wilco that lives in town, mm-hmm. um, and so he is. Uh, he often comes by and lays down drums for you know, especially when Jeff is doing specifically Wilco stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so we see Glenn a lot. Um, the other guys all live out of town, and but we you know do our best to get them in here when it's time to get them in here. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it's just exploratory; they'll be here for you know a week laying down stuff that we don't know what's going to happen. Sometimes it's more specific where there's a framework that now needs Wilco to be part of it. Um, So, yeah, I mean, it's a creative space. Also, you know, Jeff produces other people as well. So Mm -hmm. every once in a while we get these really fun kind of timeouts and we get to do these other, these other things. And we, Mm -hmm. you know, that's a really, he doesn't just do anybody. So it's been very high caliber of what we've been able to work with. And again, sitting on the couch and watching Richard Thompson exhaust himself, you know, on a, on a guitar solo is like uh-huh. pinching myself. Like, <laughs> hey, I read somewhere and this might not be true at all, but I read somewhere that Jeff was, was initially producing uh, David Berman's album, like Purple Mountains. Were you there for any of that? Is that true? Or did I just make that up completely? Well, David came over for a day and tried some stuff out. Um, he, I, I don't know if it was um, officially for a record or anything. I mean, it was definitely mm-hmm. that time period and that material. Um, but I think he was looking for to see what he'd be comfortable with and see if possibly mm-hmm. this would be that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, so he did a day of, of kind of rolling out some of his songs. Um, yeah. That had to have been pretty special. It was very special. That guy was unbelievable talent. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one day I oh, hope. Sorry. Go ahead. One day I hope the stuff that he tracked that day will will be heard by other people. Yeah. So you got to be sitting on like quite the treasure trove of recordings over there, huh? I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's always stuff that doesn't make it to this or that. Sometimes there's a real good reason that it doesn't make it out. Mm-hmm. Sure. But sometimes now there's some special stuff that's that's hiding and and waiting to come out. Um, when people find out you work at the loft, what's like the first thing they say? Oh, do people find out that I work at the loft? I don't know. I, don't <laughs> really know that I, work at the loft. I mean, what people are we talking about? We're in a uh, pandemic. You're right. You're yeah, right. Yeah, my, right. My apologies. When, yeah. when like <laughs> when a Wilco fanatic finds out you work at the loft. Yeah. I try down? not to let Wilco fanatics. <laughs> That's not We're good for anyone. For really. We're secret safe with us. <laughs> oh, I love that. Um, so let's talk about uh, 11th dream day. If you have a moment, they, what's it like joining a band like, you know, almost two decades into their run? Like, is that awkward? Do you have to feel your way around? Like, do you feel comfortable right away? Like, how does that work out? No, it's great. I mean, that's a band <laughs> that just is what they are. And that's wonderful. And I'm th- we're super thankful for that. Nobody's working out what they aren't. Mm-hmm. I, don't know, I hope mm-hmm. I'm saying that in the right way. Like, yeah, yeah, I get it. You know, People when know what sings, their role is. Yeah. When Rick sings, what comes out of his mouth is the thing. He's not 
reaching for something that isn't him. He just is him. And when he sings it and he's done, that's what that's right. It's mm-hmm. correct. Um, Janet's the same way and Doug's the same way. And so, um, no, it's really fun to, I started playing them because Rick and I, uh, played in a band called, uh, Chestnut Station together. Um, we put out, uh, Chestnut Station put out two records on Drag City. I was on one of them. Um, but it was this fun band of all these different people. It was actually Paul from Moto was in the band. Mm-hmm. Um, Ryan Murphy, who worked at Drag City and who's done a, a million things. Mm-hmm. His brother, Brendan Murphy, who's a great drummer. He was in Burnout and he played in the Jesus Lizard for, uh, for a short bit. Um, uh, who else? Oh, John Whitney, who um, was in a bunch of great bands. Um, and so it was a bunch of guys getting together. It was a little yeah. bit of a card game kind of band, you know. Um, let's get together and hang out for a little bit, uh-huh. play, some, <laughs> play some songs. And so that was a really fun band to be with. But that's when I was uh, playing with Rick. And so at that point, um, Stalled Parade was coming out, which was, I guess, uh, the 2000 was the, that 11th Dream Day record. And John McIntyre mm-hmm. recorded it and played a lot of keyboardy kind of sounds on the record. So they figured, well, for this, if we're going to play it live, we should have some of that in there. So I was asked to do that to kind of bring in these extra bits. But Janet sings a couple songs and comes out front. So I was able to play drums for a little bit mm-hmm. and Doug plays guitar every once in a while. So I was able to play bass. And so I was kind of this auxiliary player and, um, yeah, it's great. I mean, you know, they're just, they're just folks, you know, who yeah. play great music and who always have, and it's always been, you know, the same in, in the way that you want it to be, you know, they're like, Mm-hmm. They're like Yola Tango. They're like, you know, these, the feelies. They're like these bands that will mm-hmm. just be what you want them to be and that it rolls out of them the way it rolls out of them. And that's what you love about that band. So, no, it was really, it's really fun to be in that band and, and to uh, be the extra guy, be the new guy. I, I'm a, I've only been in it for 21 years. I'm the new <laughs> guy. <laughs> They're still well, giving it, you it, shit. They're like, you don't it, know anything, newbie. <laughs> It, it, it's probably not the kind of band that you would want if you're in your 20s or something like that. But, but for somebody who's whatever you're you're in your 50s, it, it seems like it's the perfect band. Exactly. And it's a card game kind of band. You know, yeah. we get together every couple of years mm-hmm. and play a few mm-hmm. shows. Yeah. And, um, and it makes it really special because of that. You know, nobody has uh, any ridiculous ideas of, you know, anything that's just except for what it is. You know, we'll play at a great club that we can fill to the people that will come yeah. see us. We'll print this many records because we'll sell this many records. And mm-hmm. yeah, no, it's a it's a blast to be in that band. Yeah. So the recording for Since Grace, this that came out this year, which is fantastic. Uh, how was that affected? And if it was affected by COVID? Well, it started out not as an 11th Dream Day record. And um, I I think Rick was feeling um, like we all were. Um, He was feeling very alone and and, and he had a lot going on in his life. And um, the the way he deals with it, the way a lot of people deal with it is it was with with creative output. He wanted to put out a record of his songs that, that didn't have to be 11th Dream Day songs. And they ended up being him on acoustic guitar mostly, um, which I guess isn't how he usually writes for 11th Dream Day. Mm -hmm. So at the beginning, it kind of seemed like perhaps there was a slightly different tone to these, and that's why he wanted to do them solo. Um, So during the pandemic, he would come here. um, Did we even start before the pandemic? Maybe. 
Um, and he would just lay down things and we'd put click tracks or he'd play to this or something. And um, so a- after a while we had, you know, 13, 14 songs and he would, he's like, you know what, Janet would sound great drumming on this song. Let's mm-hmm. bring Janet in. She'd drum it. Well, hey, that sounded great. Do you want to drum on this other one? You know, and, you know, this, this could use a bass line. I wonder if Doug's around. Let's, let's call Doug. You know, so, so, so he's like, Jim Elkington could really do a nice string arrangement. Let's bring him in. It's like, okay, well, that's now it's everybody from 11th Dream Day. There you go. So um, it just slyly turned into a 11th Dream Day record, which was really awesome and fun. I mean, it's a really different way. Usually the band will learn these songs and practice, beat them, beat them, beat them, beat them, play some live shows, beat them, beat them, beat them, beat them, then record them because we have it all together. But this was the, the opposite. And so for them, it was a really different kind of record for 11th Dream Day for, for Rick. As, as far as playing the live shows, is it generally, you know, Rick says, hey, we're playing this show, be there. Or is it like the band having a discussion, like how many shows we want to play and things like that? I think everybody is up for everything that could come our way, you know, um, but we all have limitations. So mm-hmm. I don't think Rick or Janet would ever decide something that was probably not going to happen, you know? So I, they're, they have their limitations just like the rest mm-hmm. of us. So doing a few shows in town, doing a show in Michigan, hoping for a show, you know, maybe we'll do a New York show or maybe mm-hmm. we'll do something like every once in a while, we'll get a weird thing. Like we're going to Athens. <laughs> we're, we're going to, to Greece. Like, Okay. It's going to be four nights. We're going to, you know, we've done that a few times. My first uh, live show with them was uh, in London on on the way to Iceland. Oh, wow. That was a weird thing. It's like, we're going to Iceland. Like, okay, count me in. That sounds great. (laughs) Outside of uh, Chicago, where, where's their biggest fan base? Um. I don't know, actually. I've, I've not done a lot of U.S. touring with them. I and mean, we've done mm-hmm. some outskirt stuff. We've done uh, probably uh, Kentucky, Louisville, Kentucky is mm-hmm. probably one of the bigger ones. And, and uh, Love and Dream Dead does well in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure where else. Uh, do you feel like your time in the studio, like we're all the time you spend at the loft helping Jeff and, and everybody else in Wilco, do you feel like you've gotten a better sense of how to record and it's made you more efficient and like made you a lot more skilled in the studio and like what you want going into it or, or does that like not translate to your own material? No, a thousand percent. I learned something every day here. I mean, that, that might be the thing I feel most lucky about is, mm-hmm. you know, watching Tom Schick, who's the house engineer here, you know, that guy knows what he's doing and he really, really does things, um, really really well and for the right reasons so no i'm learning stuff all the time all the time that's awesome yeah i mean um, i feel like that way with anything I, I learn stuff when i'm listening to great music i feel you know i learn stuff when i'm recording a great artist you know i did i, I um mixed a record for azita this year and i've worked with her a bunch before and azita is just a one of a kind i mean she do- does what she does and no one else does what she does and um man, I, I learn a lot from those kind of experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, That's great. Yeah. Uh, it seems like you've had this really amazing and fortunate career where it's, you've been in the right space at the right time. You've been nice to the right people. And you've, you've been like something that that's like, you're a person that brings people together and that a uniter, if you will. And that's really cool. All right. I'll take that. <laughs> you know what? I, I hate to say this because it, it, it goes against what a lot of people think. I am never the most talented in the room, 
Um, but I, I feel like I'm a nice hang. I'm a nice guy. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like that has gotten me a lot of the things, you know, I, I'm a, a, maybe the kind of person somebody doesn't mind hanging out with. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think sometimes that's more important than being the best guitarist or the best something, you know? So I, I feel lucky in that way. I mean, I, I, I work hard, you know, yeah. I'll, I'll work hard as, you know, yeah. as, as the next guy. Um, but I think I'm, I think I'm a good hang. I would agree with you. You've been a yeah. great hang. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and I think you, you, it seems like you work hard to maintain those friendships and those relationships mm-hmm. too. Yeah. It's not, that's not work at all. That's, well, yeah. yeah, it's, I mean, like, yeah, it's not yeah, transactional for, for some people. It is. Well, I think some people have to hang with people that they don't like, you know, and I'm thankful that I don't work for a boss that I hate. I mean, so many people <laughs> hate their boss. Yeah. Like, Oh my God, I'm so thankful. I've never hated my boss. Any of my bosses, I would work for my bosses for free. You know, like mm-hmm. I, I love my boss. Hopefully they're not listening to this then. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but I mean, you know, like th- that's a, a similar thing between Jeff and Sue is that they create these things that um, uh, everybody loves them enough that it's not just what are you doing for me? What am I doing for you? It's, it's mm-hmm. a, it's, it's community. It's mm-hmm, more yeah. than that. And Jeff really has that in Wilco and, you know, Wilco has a 13 person crew and tour managers and booking agents and all sorts of people. So it's a lot of people, a lot of moving parts. Mm -hmm. And uh, it does feel like we are, you know, um, I don't want to overuse the term family, but community. Mm -hmm. I think it's a really little ecosystem. It's a really big thing. It's a really important thing. And I, you know, all businesses, all everything should have this. It's, yeah, community. It's, it's the, the most important part. I love that. Um, what it, <clears throat> one last thing I want to talk to you about before we ask you some Chicago questions is intonation music. Um, I, if you have been involved with that for a little. For those who don't know, it's uh, it works with youths in Chicago to experience making music on their own terms. Uh, primarily, it seems like it's focused on on communities in the South Side. How did you get in, involved with that? It was through Wilco. Um, Wilco was uh, very generous in part. Uh, um, also, um, John Stewart and his wife, Chrissy, um, were on the board and, and very involved. Um, so we would have these annual uh, loft concerts that they would um, 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 have tickets for that they would, okay. you know, uh, as fundraisers and things like that. Mm-hmm. And so I got to meet Mike and Heather and, and, um, Beth and all the folks that that worked on that, and it's an it's a really great mission. Um, it's a super impressive, like well done. Um, I've never been part of a of an organization like this, like um, with you know uh, with a board of directors. Like I don't. That's not. That's not the. I don't travel in those circles. <laughs> so to kind of be on the board and see these people doing really important things and 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 seeing how organized they are and singing seeing how quickly it goes from the top to bottom and 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 um how their mission is is really at the forefront and it mm-hmm. doesn't matter all the other activity the mission is always you know what's what's on their minds. Um no it's it's amazing. I'm really 
Uh, I don't really do a ton uh, for them other than I'm a conduit to Wilco. So, Mm -hmm. you know, we um, donate things to help for fundraising. I mean, fundraising is a huge part of it um, because they give away their their services for free. Mm -hmm. So, um, no, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And I'm, I'm really honored to be part of it. And I'm so thankful that Wilco is as generous as they are for it as well. Yeah, that, thank you very much. I think it's it's really great to give back and and try and like grow that next generation of of music folks. And really, even beyond music, you know, I mean, it it is music training, but it's not that really. It's it's much mm-hmm. more. It's kind of like what we were talking about with Jeff's book. I mean, yes, it's writing a song, but it's much more about connecting uh, people to their creative sides or having them understand that the world. Um, has other possibilities. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like what, one of the things that they do at Intonation is they show these kids um, other people in the music industry that they didn't, don't know about. You know, like, sure, you see the band on the stage right. when you arrive at showtime, but what goes into that? You know, how many people yeah. are we talking about? You know, from everything from a, a bus driver to a assistant tour manager to a booking agent to a um, PR firm. You know, there's a lot of people involved mm-hmm. and there's a lot of ways to be part of this without being the guy that plays lead guitar. Sure. And so um, I think that's a really important part, especially to communities that might not have um, a ton of experience with people like that or, mm-hmm. or have, um, you know, uh, access to people right. in those positions. So, no, it's really the mission is, is amazing. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you for, for contributing to that. Um, so now to shift gears completely, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, we're going to ask some Chicago based questions. So uh, you feel free to add as much or as little context to mm-hmm. these as you'd like. Uh, <laughs> yeah, okay. the, the, the first of which is uh, deep dish or thin crust pizza, which thin, one is your preference? Thin, thin right. Yeah. Yes. Nice. Do you have even a like crispy spot? thin. You know, okay. like crunchy oh. thin. Although we just had Marie's pizza the other night, which is my neighborhood's mm-hmm. pizza. So good. Mm. Thin. Yeah. I loved GGO's up in Evanston for a long time. Just thin, greasy pizza. My wife is from Evanston and I'm always trying to get her to go there. She always shoots me down. So what? GGO's, go to GGO's. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Hear that? Go to GGO's, babe. <laughs> she said, leave me alone. Uh, okay, so we're not going to assume that you like to drink, but if you had a favorite cheap beverage, what would it be? I drink. Like I myself, I'm going to go PBR water. I just water. Yeah. I'm not, okay. I don't drink a lot of soda. I don't drink uh, a lot of alcohol or mm-hmm. beer. I get fat other ways. <laughs> GGOs. 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 Exactly. Yeah. Give me a slice of pizza any day. And uh, these days, you know, like if I drink a beer, I'm tired. Mm-hmm. My, my whole life is trying to stay up. You know, I, I since my daughter, my our first uh, born was born, I mm-hmm. want to work. I want to make things. And so nighttime has become my ni- my time to make things. So I don't want something that's going to put me to sleep. It's going to let me stay up late. I'm a yeah. late night person. Awesome. Okay. Um, and I think so also speak. that's that helped me handing over the keys to me when I worked at Lounge Jax. Oh, he's uh-huh. a drink. Yeah, he can have the keys. There you go. <laughs> yep. Um, so be, we're going to call you a, a Chicago lifer, right? You came from Kansas City, but we will claim you as our own. Uh, what does 
when you think of Chicago and Chicago music through Chicago music scene, uh, what do you, what do you think of, what does that mean to you? Well, I love that the community, uh, at least the, the, the circles that, uh, that I run in, um, everybody is open to everybody else. Um, sometimes in other cities, uh, I've experienced this in, in a few different places, and I hear about it in other places, that everybody's against each other and that there's a, a, only a certain amount of this. Mm-hmm. And if we don't get it, they'll get it. And um, I just love that in Chicago, you'll see people from different bands playing with each other, you know, and, and just, it, there's a real openness. Um, you know, I, I just think it's a, that's such a great thing. And, and, you, you know, um, so many great things come out of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I you know, Ken Vandermark will be the, the, the thing was uh, at Lounge Axe, we saw Ken Vandermark doing this completely outset with Ornette Coleman downtown. And then the night after he was at Lounge Axe playing with the waste Kings, this kind of like fifties oh, wow. rock band. It's just like, Mm-hmm. Just do it and shut up and just do it. You know, I, just, <laughs> I, I really like that. And I, I, that rubs off on everybody else. So there's mm-hmm. a lot of people that so somebody like Scott Legan. Do you guys know Scott Legan? Mm-hmm. Oh, what a talent. And that guy shares it often with everybody. You know, he's in NRBQ on this night. He's with, the, you know, he's playing with these guys. He's playing with Kelly Hogan. He's playing with the Western Elstons. He's, you know, he just uh, that's, you know. Talk about a lifer, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We've um, had uh, several people come on the pod and talk about how much the Chicago community works together. It's not competitive like other cities and, uh, and, and, and people just notice that. It's really, really true. And I, I mean, I, I hope it's not this way in other cities, but um, it does seem like that, you know, I mean, it, there's always a competitive thing. Oh, we're this team and they're that mm-hmm. team, but not in Chicago, not in Chicago. Yeah. I love That's that. Cool. Yep. Um, favorite uh, record store in town. Well, I mean, I will admit that I don't really go to record stores anymore. <laughs> hey, no shame in that. Um, yeah, no, there is shame in that. I feel terrible. <laughs> there are a lot of great record stores. Um, I mean, I'm thinking of the old record stores, too. Um, you know, Reckless is a great record store because they have a huge, mm-hmm. wide range of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the Record Mart was a great place when that was open. Jazz Record Mart. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a great place called Blackout that was uh, for a long time. It was next to the Metro and then it moved up near the uh, Music Box. Um, it's a lot of great record stores. Mm-hmm. I mean, and uh, I'm... A- I, I'm a guy that buys more used records than anything else. Mm-hmm. If I do buy a record, um, so there's vintage vinyls in Evanston and places like that. Yeah, mm-hmm. great spot. Yeah. Uh, and our our last question is going to be: What have you been listening to lately? What's moving? Uh, I listen to a lot of old stuff all the time. But we, you know, the good thing about working with Jeff is he listens to everything. Mm-hmm. Um, it's part of his job. You know, like he wants yeah. to hear everything. He's a very curious guy and he makes it part of his job. Um, so Loren is one of those things that, that we've all loved super, super uh, a lot lately. Um, Hand Habits is great. Mm-hmm. Um, Aldous Harding is a favorite for the last few years. Um, I saw the Aldous Harding show at the Empty Bottle. I guess this was before the pandemic. Is that true? Jeez. Holy cow. And that killed me. That was that was one of those shows. It was like walking home in silence. Like, damn. 
<laughs> um, there's a great guy, Andy Schaff from Canada. Um, mm-hmm. He's super great. I saw him open for low. Um, it's so funny. I saw him open for low at Talia Hall. And the next day, Jeff puts on a video and uh, there he is doing this other song. And I was like, and he has this very unique voice. And so I'm watching the video. I'm not thinking anything. And then I hear this voice, which is very unique. I just saw that guy last night. Um, there are some people. Um, there's this woman named Ari Franks. She's a local person. I, I, she mm-hmm. puts out things on like Bandcamp. I don't know if she's put out a proper record. She's fantastic. Um, very um, interesting and odd and unique mm-hmm. and wonderful. Um, there is a young woman named Sophie Jen- Sophia Jensen who you will be interviewing at some point. Awesome. She oh, is okay. really wonderful and young and just on the edge of, of <clears throat> being loved by a lot of people. Um, I like that description. Yeah. I mean, she, it's funny because I met her because she's a friend with somebody who I know. And they said, Hey, do you mind showing her the loft? She'd be really, knocked out by that and she was young i think she was maybe 17 when i did that mm-hmm. she's a young a young woman and she came in here and she's very quiet and she didn't let on that she was a wilco fan or anything she just was quiet and, and appreciative and sweet and uh we, we kept in touch and then i started to see these things that she was writing and hear her voice and i was like what that's so good mm-hmm. And so we've been we've been staying in touch, but um, yeah, no, really, really good stuff. Uh, there was a woman back a couple decades named Diane Izzo. Do you guys remember Diane Izzo? She played mm, in Chicago. So. She was wonderful, and she passed away uh, um, of um, a cancer. I think it was a brain cancer. I'm not positive. And her husband also passed away. Both of them very young. Mm. And so there's a Diana is a record that's sitting on a hard drive. That's ready to, to be remixed and, and put out. And there was also um, a lot of local Chicago bands did covers of her song. There was going to be a tribute. I, I do know who you're talking about. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Um, My morning jacket did a cover. Jeff did a cover of one of her songs. Um, oh. I think uh, Tim yeah. Tilly did a cover um, a bunch of people. Um, did Tim or Tilly? Uh, maybe sold American did a cover anyway. Um, she's really a, a wonderful thing that she didn't really get the, the spotlight or attention mm-hmm. that she deserved. Mm-hmm. Um, so hopefully that, that will come out in the next, you know, couple years and, and that will be, that will reintroduce people to something that was missed. Oh, great. You gave us a lot of stuff to have to check mm-hmm. out. So thank you for that. Yeah. Uh, also Can just I- want to say thank you so much for your, for your time today. Can, oh, can- my pleasure. Can I ask one last question? Yeah. Mark, Mark, do you ever like just show up in the morning and grab one of uh, Jeff's acoustic gu- guitars and start strumming it? Every morning. <laughs> I mean, I have, when I finally quit and go running into the woods, I know the four or five guitars I'm going to take with me. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> the list changes every once in a while, yeah. but there's some that they're the constants. Yeah. yeah no, it's a, it's an amazing place. He has an uh-huh. amazing collection of, uh, of music making tools. Yeah. Man, you're a lucky man. Oh. It is. It's really, <laughs> I mean, it's funny because on one level, they're just guitars, right? They're just things, you know, uh-huh. and, and, and you have to kind of keep that in your brain for most of the time. I mean, it's a 
guitar. You know, it's a couple of pieces of wood that are glued <laughs> together. It's just a guitar. There's a lot of guitars. But, you know, then there's other times where like, oh, right. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, like, uh, not only is this an important guitar, it was an expensive guitar or something like that. Uh-huh. You know, there'll be funny things like that where we'll leave, um, you know, somebody will be, when people pl- uh, record here, they're allowed to use just about anything. You know, we leave most things out. Jeff, it's, mm-hmm. Jeff is inviting these people into his living room, basically. Mm-hmm. And so um, <laughs> there was one time where, where this guy was, fell in love with one of Jeff's guitars and just, you know, played, recorded it. And then it was time to go listen. And he kind of puts it down and just leans it against the chair. And I'm just like, <laughs> it occurs to me how much that guitar is worth. Uh-huh. I had to cool, gently put it on a stand. Uh-huh. At that point. But you know, they're just pieces of wood. Nice, man. That's great. Uh, well, like I said, thank you so much. Mm-hmm. If you know, there's ever a time you want to let three uh, crazy people into the loft, you let us know. <laughs> we'll behave. Post pandemic. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. We'll, we'll behave. Yeah. I promise. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, thanks so much for your time. You have a great day. Okay. It was awesome. You too. Good thanks, talking Mark. to you guys. Yeah, real yep. pleasure. Take yep. care. Thanks so much for listening today. We are no wristbands. We drink for free. Music of course has been provided by Merlin wall. Please check them out on Spotify or on Bandcamp. Please also subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Apple podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcast. And give us a follow on Instagram and Twitter at No Wristbands and check out our website at NoWristbands.com.